I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtongues. Dialects and subtongues. Hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt and Stephen. Hello, Stephen Murray. Hello, Matt Brown. How are you? <laughs> well, we have a slight confession to make at the beginning of this episode, which is that at the end of the last episode, we said that Today we were going to be chatting about Perfect Woman, a 1948 British film, and Weird Science, uh, the 1980s Kelly LeBrock vehicle. Um, but we're not going to do that today, are we? No, we're not. We are going to be doing that because we think it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched half of Weird Science and uh, I'm, I'm shocked. Did you have your 2023 spectacles oh, on? Oh, God, Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing how absolutely, <laughs> utterly jaw-dropping it is. So we'll do that. We'll we'll chat about perf- the perfect woman and weird science in our next episode next week. But we're really delighted uh, to have our very first guest on the podcast, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so we're joined to talk about robots in Buffy the Vampire Slayer by none other than the brilliant uh, author, Louis Stoll, who is currently riding high on her success of her uh, low-key children's books, uh, which are brilliant, and you should definitely buy if you've got a kid in your life who loves that sort of stuff. Uh, Louis, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Um, And we're going to be chatting to you about your area of expertise, the thing you probably go on mastermind for? Probably, yeah. Yeah, (gasps) which is... Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, so I I was at university when it came out, so yeah, didn't really watch it. Um, but I later, in I think it was two thousand and two or so, I was doing um, a post grad in advertising, and it was me and maybe two other women and twenty one men. So I was in this very very male atmosphere. Um, but one of the men who I got on very well with, who's gay. Uh, lent me his Buffy tapes because it was tapes back then Mm. Um, and that's when I got hooked and I think it was was possibly just craving female company I don't know but um, what got me into Buffy was the jokes it wasn't like so whenever anyone tells me this show is like Buffy or this book is like Buffy what they mean is it has a woman who kicks things which is not actually the primarily primary interest for me I mean I like kicking and everything but um, actually it's the fact that it's so subversive and so um, it plays with genre the, the first shot of Buffy is is subverting expectations because you have, you know, vulnerable looking blonde going into dark school with naughty looking boy expecting bad things to happen to her. But turns out she's a vampire and eats him. Um, yeah. So it's from that from the start. It's all the kind of um, upending expectations. And I think, you know, there's elements of it have definitely dated. And I think the kind of personal life of the creator has impacted a little bit on people's views on it, but um, yeah. but I think it's still you know <clears throat> part of television history, and and I'm not sure anything has actually done what Buffy did better yet. But I'm, I live in hope because we we asked you um, to talk about Buffy. Not really. Now no, I think I knew that there were robots in it. Maybe you'd yeah. mentioned there were robots in it. But which robots did you pick to chat to about today? So I picked um, Ted, one word robot. And the Buffy bot, also one word robot. There is a, there is a third robot that I'm probably being into it called April because they're 
um, Buffy Bot and April kind of go together. Okay. Um, it's it's because it's primarily a fantasy show. It's mostly monsters and mystical stuff, but it also has a lot of kind of technology in there, and technology is effectively treated like magic. So you know, high school students can make robots that look exactly like human beings, <laughs> yeah. um, which kind of have variable programming. Sometimes they seem very much like robots when that's funnier, and sometimes they can seem quite human. Yeah. Um, there, but... there, I felt there was a lot of that going on because, I, like I said, I'd never seen it before, but I was I was thrilled by the sort of... Um, there's, a, there's a bit in the TED episode where they have to analyse a cookie um, for you know, and they just take it to the science lab in school, and then they work yeah. out that they've been poisoned. <laughs> I mean, like Willow is a genius, so there is yeah. that. I still feel like a genius wouldn't necessarily have the equipment to to do that kind of thing. That you'd actually need quite a well stocked lab to do. I've got to say, it's a well stocked school, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they have to be because of all the problems they encounter. Because there's, you know, they literally they, this school is on a hellmouth, so monsters are always turning up. So maybe maybe the teachers kind of they don't admit it, but they secretly know, and they probably you know leave the yeah. around. I couldn't quite work that out from the episodes whether everyone knew that vampires yeah. and monsters were around it's all the time. It's basically or... a kind of everyone sort of knows because there is there's one or two episodes where it's acknowledged but no one ever talks about it. And this is kind of very repressed kind of waspy small town where people don't talk about anything that's bad. Yeah. They want to pretend everything's fine. There's a there's an episode where there's a witch trial and all the teach all the parents start kind of blaming everything on witches. Uh, Willow is a witch and a goody. Um, and basically that's a point at which everyone's like, there's all this weird stuff going on in town. Uh, everyone knows about it, but no one talks about it. But rather than saying it's because we're on a hellmouth, they blame it all on witches. Okay, so Ted. episode called Ted, season two. You're home early. Hi. Hi. Oh, this is my daughter, Buffy. Buffy... This is Ted. So I did a Buffy... Re I've been doing a Buffy rewatch this past year, kind of off and on, because, you know, busy. Come on, your whole life surely is just one long <laughs> Buffy rewatch. I've been doing it with my wife, who I met on a Buffy the Vampire Slayer website. So um, my life and my dog, my dog called Buffy. So you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> so season two is, you know, it's quite early on. It's, it's kind of almost where the pattern of Buffy is set, because season one is kind of finding its feet. The pattern of what Buffy is is set, which is then later broken in you know, latest seasons. Um, and it's got a lot of Monster of the Week stuff, which has now become quite, you know, traditional for sci-fi fantasy shows. Uh, so the Monster of the Week is Ted, who appears as though he's a, just a normal guy mm -hmm. who's having a relationship with Buffy's mother. Um, and he's sort of too good to be true. Um, and Buffy's... Well, only, the... only for the first few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the well, masks... Everyone, everyone loves Ted, because it turns yes. out he's drugging them with cookies, which is the cookies <clears throat> that they tested. Yeah. Um, and But Buffy is not down with Ted, and she thinks he's dodgy. I think you're missing the point here, little lady. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Why don't people see that? It's just a game. Right, it's just a game, do your own thing. Well, I'm not wired that way. Yeah, right from the start. Is that yeah, just, though, a... Is that because it's her mum, or is that some well, sort of intuition so she's got? there's the idea that it is like a... Well, not Freudian thing, exactly. It would be more of an Electra thing. She's she's worried that he's taking over and, you know, coming into their lives too much. It um, is instant, isn't it? It's instant. instant. But I, what I like is I, I kind of want to think that Buffy just knew. Like, 
she could tell her she can smell a wrong one. Poor Joyce doesn't have a lot of luck with men. She at, at one point accidentally kind of tries to date Dracula, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> We've all done it. Says, it's very hard, you know, as a as a forty something woman to find good single men. So Ted is is no Dracula. Um, he's just a robot who has been designed by a guy who's kind of pathetic, who um, an inventor in the fifties, who basically wanted to make a better version of himself so his wife wouldn't have left him. Um, but what happens is the robot takes over and kidnaps his wife and keeps doing this to women, so ends up with a bunch of dead wives like Bluebeard in his basement. Did you know? Did you? Yeah, yeah. Did you know this? Because that isn't explained in this episode, is it? I at this point I don't know what's in episodes and what's in fandom knowledge. Yeah, I've, um, I I found that out on the old um, Buffy Buffypedia. Yeah. Page. So I'm not sure how much it's explained, um, but you can kind of tell the robot was made by a creepy dude. And there is a pattern of robots in Buffy being made by creepy dudes. Okay. But in this case, he makes kind of like an ultimate version of himself. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about this in the context of, you know, things like Andrew Tate now and Jordan Peterson and these kind of the whole advice to young men genre, um, which is about, you know, being a real man. And Ted is sort of an early example of that, um, where he is, I guess, become his own Jordan Peterson um, and made himself the perfect man. Um, and the perfect man turns out, from his point of view, is very violent and kills women yes. in basements. Yes. Um, and so I think, like, Ted is one of those episodes that's kind of never never really... Uh, it's referred back to a couple of times, but it's sort of a bit of a capsule in itself. But I think it does play into some of the idea of, like, what masculinity can represent when it's monstrous. Mm-hmm. And it's, in this sense, it's very controlling. It's very much about trying to go back to the 50s and trying to, like, make Joyce into his, like, perfect wife. Yeah, um, and make Buffy behave because it's a lot of a lot of the episodes about him kind of critiquing Buffy. Yeah, so Ted takes the his wives back and uh, they, shoves them all in the cupboard. Yeah, basically. I got quite excited when they discovered his cupboard because yeah. in in robot in robot in, yes, in, in robot law that we've discovered <laughs> certainly in the thirties and forties, all robots have a cupboard. Really? It, yeah, it's yeah. the cupboard where they live. So I and I thought that I thought, oh great, they've 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 obviously they're big robot fans. They've kept with the tradition. They've kept yeah. the tradition and then and then then discover that actually yeah. it's the cupboard of death. There's four hey. of them in there, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really nice. Buffy saves her mum because she's Buffy and she's the hero. Yes. And I thought, sorry, to go back to the cover, I thought that was really nicely done because you didn't actually see anything, did you? And there was a I thought there was lots of nice touches, I thought, in uh, yeah. in the episode. Yeah, you like don't that. see like Here's a lot of rotten bodies. <laughs> there are probably always horror elements in Buffy, and I thought, I yeah. thought then we would have seen that. Yeah, but it's not always horror that you see, um, and it's not always sort of blood horror. I mean, the most I think the best horror episode of Buffy is um, is called Hush, which is um, oh, these monsters called the gentlemen that basically steal people's voices so that no one can object when they come and kill people. And they just float around. And they just float around, and somehow that's much scarier than like a big monster kind of clawing people to death. Yeah, so I think there is a there is a lot of off screen horror and a lot of I suppose psychological horror, um, which Ted definitely recommend re- represents because he's kind yes. of you know the opposite of Buff. Buffy's aspirations she wants to be kind of I guess she wants to be modern but she's trapped in this like ancient job you know she's she's the descendant of a a line of slayers back to before history um and while Ted isn't quite so far back in history um he does he represents that kind of trap that she sometimes feels in yeah She, she has to she works for this very stuffy old council the watchers council who are 
um, basically the kind of minders of slayers, but they also control them. So I think there's a parallel there between Ted the robot and the Watcher's Council. At the, sort of in the middle of the episode, uh, Buffy kills, in inverted commas, Ted. Yes. Or at least, least Buffy's mum thinks that she's been killed. I don't know what, what I thought about that whole sequence. It's quite, a, it's quite a sort of like a weird emotional gear change, I felt. Yeah. From the sort of like the capering to then Buffy has killed a person and yeah. it's his, her mum's boyfriend and it was all a bit odd. Well, I think that is a theme that you do come back to a lot, which is, is Buffy the monster? And and she has those doubts herself. And it's it's sort of not as emphasised in early seasons, but that mm. is one moment where you think maybe she is the monster. Maybe she is the one who's just overreacting and using her powers to kill a dude. Um but then and there's that great bit at the end where Buffy is uh, sort of jujitsuing him to death and his face fo- sort of falls off. Oh, mm. the frying pan. And I thought that makeup was really good. It was. Yeah. I think the robot when their face falls off is one of my favourite robot things. When I yeah. saw pictures of it, I thought that that looks pretty cool. But then when you see it live, when he turns his face around. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those wonderful bits of horror that you get in Buffy. That yeah. Just, they're quite shocking. Yeah, I thought that was excellent. And I liked the actor as well, because I recognised him from stuff. I wasn't quite sure where I recognised him from. Yeah, he's probably in some sort of soap opera or something. Yeah. But he did a murder she caused. Everybody's in that. Yeah. Murder she caused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought he did a really good job, especially in the bits where, towards the end, where Ted is sort of malfunctioning. Yeah. I thought they were really... I thought he did a great job of that. We should probably be hitting the road. Hitting the road? You're going to love the house. It's furnished just the way you like it. I spend a lot of telling me what to do. Time decorating. Well, in the we we sort of like worked out that in the 1930s, certainly, the successful robots, robot robotic depictions are the ones where where actors play the robot. And I think that that's as you say, that's it does like that the the idea of Ted. Again, I've no idea whether whether if you were into the series, whether you'd know that Ted was a robot initially I mean I don't remember because I've watched it so many times now I don't yeah. know what I knew going in but um but there are I mean there's elements aspects of like very obvious robots who you can get very emotionally attached to so in mm-hmm. real life the Mars rovers everyone has such an emotional bond with everyone who's a space nerd has an emotional bond with them yeah and um well the Boston Dynamic Dogs as we discuss on Ooh, on our show. But they're they're the bad guys. <laughs> well, if you but as Stephen often t- says, there's a there's a video isn't there where where one of the one of the scientists kicks the the Boston Dynamics really? dog. Yeah, it's big dog. They take it out onto into the car park where it's really icy yeah. to show that it can correct itself. Yeah, but it's not it's not slipping on the ice. So one of uh, the, the person who's next to it kicks kicks it. Wow. And I really felt for, for the yeah, robot. The dog. I really did feel for it. Yeah. And I guess it's not evil, it's just, you know, it's like a bad owner makes a bad dog. Um, Going back to Mars, one of the robots uh, sent a message back saying that um, I'm, I'm, I don't have enough power. I'm yeah. going to go and. I'm Every really, time they really do that, love. I genuinely want to cry. I know. It was really, it, really emotional. I mean, it's, it's amazing science communication because it does yeah. get really invested in these missions and also understand that they have to end and that it's not a yeah. failure that they end. It's it's planned, but also that it is really kind of sad. And it was just, I've been on two worlds and, you know, and, and I'm finishing up on this world and yeah. I really loved working with you all. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as we, we discussed in our last episode, which was the, the Bicentennial Man movie, in that film, I don't know if you've seen that film. I movie. have not. Um, 
<laughs> well, listen to our episode. That's only yeah, half an hour long. <laughs> you have to invest the three hours. But but it's so uh, it's a robot that lives for two hundred years and who yeah. wants to become a human. And he he realizes is that the last bit in the puzzle is that he's got to die right, because yeah. death is such a big death part of, human, of yeah. being a human. So you know that's why I suppose that's why it's important that Mars rovers die. Yeah, because otherwise they cannot become real boys. They can't. <laughs> On a robot planet. <laughs> My battery is low, and it's getting dark. And I thought that actually the t- the two episodes that we watched, which were which were the Ted episode in season two, and then we went we fast fast forwarded to season five, quite late on in season five for the it's Buffy intervention. Bot. I think it's called. That's right. It was the so it's the the first time that the Buffy bot appears. I think isn't it in, in yeah. that episode? The, the reason episode. it's called intervention is they think that she's reacting to her grief by uh, sleeping with a vampire called Spike, um, and but it turns out it's the Buffy bot. And he's he's had Buffy Bot made for him because he's in love with Buffy. Yeah. Um, so the backstory to this is um, the robot was made by someone called Warren Mears, who turns out to be a, the main villain of season six. She looks good, but what about the rest? Hey, she's uh, great. You'll be real happy, I swear. She's got everything you asked for, all the extra programming, tons of real-world knowledge, the profiles you gave me about her family and friends. All the extra programming, right? Uh, the, the stuff that you wanted, the... Uh, scenario responses, you know, the uh, uh, special skills. <laughs> but Warren Mears is, is, is interesting because I have been reflecting a lot on the fact that he is that kind of incel character before incels were a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He makes these robots because women have rejected him. Right. Um, so he makes a robot called April and makes her to be the f- perfect girlfriend, but then realizes the perfect girlfriend is actually quite boring because all she wants to do is, you know, ha- you know, make him happy. Yeah. And and he actually, you know, deep down wants a real person. Um, so he makes this robot called April, um, and then uh, April causes mayhem. But when April's been destroyed, um, Spike goes to Warren and says, make me a Buffy bot. So again, he makes this buff- this robot that's absolutely a perfect copy of Buffy, which does not act like Buffy, <laughs> is kind of programmed to be in love with Spike. Yeah. Um, and also just has a very kind of like robotic way of speaking. And I think that's mostly because that's funny. Um, and also it kind of helps you tell the difference between her and Buffy. However, there is I think, one or two instances where they're getting her to pretend to be Buffy, mm. um, where she is very convincing. And I think that's basically where it's just, it serves the story better if she can be very convincing. So Buffy has to go away uh, for a sort of like a, a ritual that, that's, yeah. that uh, is it Giles? Yes, so Giles is her watcher. He doesn't work for the Watcher's Council anymore, so he's a cool watcher. So he takes her off to to perform this ritual so that she can kind of regain her mojo because she's a bit worried that that being a a slayer is turning her into a sort of like a a heartless, you know, beast, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. so this this harks back to actually her sense of monstrosity in in the episode with Ted. Um, So she's kind of, um, she's trying to find the human side of her slayer identity. Can can we just go back to Ted in that... uh... Stepford is mentioned in it. Yes, uh, it is. So last night I watched two hours of the Stepford Wives, even though I had watched it before and not realised how long it was. Yeah. And there is there is a lot of that in in the Ted episode, mm. and a little bit and a little bit in the uh, in the Spike episode with Buffy Bot as well. Yeah. That's well, I think it. that idea. I had to get a mentioning because I'd sat through the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that idea of sort of women programmed to be what men want them to be. And yeah. Buffy has the kind of antithesis of that because she's always breaking her programming because uh-huh. there's a lot of kind of themes in the show about the idea that a slayer has to be kind of separated from 
friends and family. They're supposed to be just a lone warrior who just obeys orders when actually Buffy is all about friends and family. And often it's why she saves the world is for her friends and family. And that idea of her kind of non-conformity is actually her strength. So I guess yeah. the further she is from a Stepford wife or Stepford slayer, the better a slayer she is. Oh, wow, I like that, Stepford Slayer. Yeah, well, because normally Slayers <laughs> die really, really young. And I think part of what's helping her survive is that she does have this community around her. She's not yeah. trying to do it all on her own. And she's also not trying to detach from her emotions in an unnatural way. What is interesting from hearing you chat, Louise, is that in recent episodes, there's been a lot of chat from Stephen and I about the idea that the 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 more a, the more a robot through te- through technological advancements is able to sort of you know think autonomously or or have feelings or I don't know whatever it is that makes them you know where is the line between sort of humanity and and yeah. being a robot sort of thing but it feels like that this is maybe not explicitly about robots and people but it's sort of baked into the show as well this yeah this I think it's idea. it's the robot I think robots generally don't cross the line into getting people status mm. in the show. Although I feel like sometimes they should, like, <laughs> I feel like the characters are actually making a bad judgment call and not allowing them to be people. Um, but it, the show is all about what it means to be a person and who gets to be a person and or an unperson. And because the idea is basically, you know, her job is vampire slayer. Va- the idea is vampires aren't people, they're just things you kill, the things, you know, mm. the demons. Um, but actually the show problematizes that in lots of ways. And I think, I think, you know, obviously robots are just one way of exploring what it means to be human. Yeah. Isn't there an episode where um, Willow scans a, a, a book and goes into the computer and it's a demon in the book and that demon eventually becomes a robot? Yes, that's true. Um, which is all about why internet dating is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And actually there's um, one of the characters called Jenny Callender who's a techno-pagan, so a lot of her kind of paganism is, is practised through computers. Yeah. Um, so that idea of the magical and the the technical do actually overlap quite a lot. Yeah. But it feels as though that that is... Oh, sorry, Stephen. Have you heard of the the, A Born Sexy Yesterday? No, what's that? In in, in 2017, a YouTube channel called Pop Culture Detective posed this uh, idea of of Born Sexy Yesterday, which is usually female characters and sometimes robots that are are very innocent, but full-grown women. Yeah, well, I think that it's the idea of a woman as a tool and she doesn't need any of her own knowledge because the man is the one with the knowledge. And it's got Um, that incel feeling as well. Um, Born Sexy Yesterday, you have to be very childlike. Yeah. Well, my... my So, actually... um, so Joss Whedon is a very problematic figure in a lot of ways. And he's he's made this, he made this other show called Dollhouse, which is exactly that. It's basically people oh. who are programmed like robots to be whatever people want them to be. And when they're in their kind of non-programmed state, they're these kind of blank children, but that look like grown women. It is this idea of the baby doll who's a full mm. Um But basically, I think, luckily, Buffy doesn't do that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching anything by Joss Whedon other than Buffy. <laughs> yeah, um, I was, I was going to ask you about that. Not about him, but the, to the extent that you are able to disconnect your love of some, of the product or the art from the creator. Well, oh, I think massively because I'm, I mean, obviously there is an, there's an ethical element because people were badly treated on set, but like I own the DVDs now, I'm not giving them any more money. Um, and... I think basically for me, I'm very death of the author. I'm not interested in what authors have to say about the work, unless they're very interesting people separately. But like, I don't think, I don't need the author to tell me or the creator or the director to tell me what a show is about, what a book is about. 
because if it's not in the in the materials that I'm presented with, it's it's interesting, but it's not any more authoritative than the viewer or the reader's perspective. Mm. So I think for me that means it's very easy to detach. Um, whether or not that's the right thing to do, I don't know. But in terms of actually my experience of something, mm. um, I think you know this stuff baked into the show that's very problematic. For instance, Xander is kind of the self-insert character for Joss Whedon. Um, and he is actually a vile misogynist and horrible throughout, but somehow we're supposed to think he's the hero. But I think because for me, it is just that he's horrible. Mm. I just ignore what the show wants me to think and just go with the truth of what's happening. We discuss yeah. quite often at work about this detaching the artist from the work when mm. the artist suddenly becomes, you know, Difficult. An unpleasant character. Yeah. I find it very, very easy because because my my background is fine art. So there's just about everybody in fine. Oh yeah, art. everyone's a rotter. They're absolutely yeah. terrible. But also, and, I'm uh, a writer, and I feel like my opinion on my work is irrelevant. If if they if they get something in from my work that I don't put in there on purpose, mm. that's great. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think so. I do sometimes get people asking me stuff about what I've written in yeah. Loki series of books. And and I kind of almost don't want to answer because actually, if it's not on the page, then it's not relevant, you know. I I think as well that if you can detach the art from the artist or the creator, that in some way it it allows you to recognise that people are all people are flawed. Yeah. As well, and that we shouldn't we should you know this idea that somebody's got to be like perfect. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Then, you know. And I think there's that, especially on the left, there's a real problem with like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And like, if mm. someone's got some aspect of them that's wrong, everything is dismissed when actually I think we're, we're all nuanced and complicated human beings who make mistakes. And, and I think, you know, you need to allow people to grow. Well, and maybe on that note, Louis, we should bring this conversation about the bots in Buffy to an end. Thank you so much. Uh, but before we let you go, is there anything that you're up to? that you would like to let people know about? Uh, yes, I do indeed. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, my newest Loki book is coming out in June. Um, so that is the the third in the Loki series, um, which I'm currently drawing at the moment. So I, I do the illustration myself. So I'm often I'm like, I'm writing it. No, wait, I'm not I'm drawing it. So I'm, I'm in the drawing stage, which is the, the latter stage. Um, and actually it's... it's while obviously Loki is not a robot, it is that idea of the Pinocchio figure that I am very much exploring. And can you become human? You know, he's he's a he's a god, but he's in the form of a mortal child, and he's sort of been a bit of an ethical vacuum for a lot of his millennia of life. And it's the, the books are about him trying to learn to become good. Um, and the first one's him being sent down to Earth to learn to be good. Second one is him being accused of a crime he doesn't commit, so he. He has to kind of turn detective. And again, he sort of learns to be a bit better, but not brilliant. Um, and one of the things I discussed with my editor was like, okay, well, this is a continuing series. So if he keeps getting too good, what do we do? Yeah. So the answer in book three is make him worse again. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, so basically he's kind of, I wouldn't say under the control, but there's a cursed ring involved, which makes him backslide considerably. One good thing you could do, Louis, mm -hmm. is have loki make a robot of himself <laughs> loki bot okay i'll take that under advisement okay i do, I do actually we... have some short stories to write so that might be a fun one loki bot there you go okay um just a little acknowledgement would be fine That's, yeah, I will, that. yeah. That's no problem. <laughs> brilliant thank you so much louis it's been lovely to chat buffy with you excellent always good to chat buffy so thanks very much louis stoll for 
what it what was a tour de force deep dive into the robots of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's good, that, not it? Th- yes, and we went a little bit highbrow there. <laughs> we <I think>. did. <laughs> we can do that. We've got it in us. As long as we have somebody else. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we are at 50YOSR. That is at F-I-F-T-Y-Y-O-S-R. Thank you so much for listening. Until we meet again, goodbye. Goodbye. I think you're missing the point here, little lady. 